how's it going folks how's it going how's it going good morning good morning thank you so much for joining in i'm brother matthew and this is christian coffee time where we sit down together to study the word of god and today we're going to be studying a topic that i realized i actually have done a video of so okay I know I've, I've written this study out. I've written it out. I know over on Periscope when Periscope used to be a thing. Uh, but then I realized yesterday I actually hadn't done a specific video here on our YouTube channel regarding this topic. And the topic is spiritual gifts. Specifically, the differences between continuationism versus cessationism. We're going to be into this massively beautifully controversial topic that everyone is cutthroat about <laughs> so this is again another another time where i'm glad i'm on this side of the camera so i can't get stoned for what uh what we'll be talking about because it doesn't matter what you say regarding this topic you're going to make enemies that you're going to make if you pick the side of continuationism, all the cessationists are going to stone you as a heretic. If you pick cessationist, all the continuationists are going to stone you as a heretic. If you stay in the middle, then both sides will stone you. So it <laughs> doesn't matter what you say. Anyways, so all right, let's just dive right into it. All right, so the topic here is on spiritual gifts. We're not going to really be discussing... The types of gifts really uh, there's a couple that we will be addressing but this is not going to be a study on uh, what are the spiritual gifts in and of themselves primarily uh, we're going to be discussing uh, whether or not they are still continued into today we're going to be diving into the Word of God on this one and I know that there are uh, well pretty much every single Christian it already has made up their mind regarding this and i know it's massively controversial this whole area is just flooded with opinions personal ideologies personal studies uh, commentaries everything uh, there's books written about it by big names there's huge church churches and names that have done huge things as you have the side of like bethel where they're basically hogwarts for christians or they believe anything and even more than the bible even talks about is possible that they're nuts and then you see this whole side the cessationists where they believe that there are no spiritual gifts for today that it's all gone it's done it's over that uh all we're left is basically just a knowledge war that's literally what john macarthur said for example he says there are no spiritual gifts it's just a knowledge war now it's just it, it's just reading the facts of the of just the scriptures it's just scripture it's just knowledge of the word of god there are no more spiritual gifts. nuts so we're going to be diving into the word of god and see what does it say then so it would seem that there are some spiritual gifts and it would seem that to be that there are some that are no more so we're going to actually explore this a little bit I've done a fair bit of study on this myself as I'm curious of it. And and also due to my personal background, if you've seen or heard my personal testimony, uh, you know where I'm coming from. I want to be clear, especially on, okay, 
what is biblical, what is not, and especially in regards to supernatural and supernatural abilities and spiritual gifts and that kind of stuff. I, I need clarification. So I did a lot of study on that. So I've come up with a with an argument based upon the word of God and my study. So I hope that uh, you'll appreciate this. I hope you'll hear me out and I hope you won't stone me. Now, there's also one other thing I want to bring up. I couldn't really care less what side you pick. Continuationist, cessationist, or in between, or any of the spectrum of it. I, I, that, that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that you're born again saved. That you believe on the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, through belief alone. And if you have, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ that we need to learn not to let subcategory doctrines cause schisms in the brethren where we start looking down or mistreating or disliking or hating or whatever of those that you may disagree with on other doctrines. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you must treat them as such. We need to learn to be able to have differences gracefully. Now, whether you're Armenian or Calvinist, or continuationist or cessationist, that we need to stop treating each other improperly, negatively. We need to be be able to learn to just get past the differences. That, oh, you don't agree the same as me? Okay, whatever. But we agree on the gospel. We need to learn to be like that. So in this topic today is a massively controversial discussion. And a lot of people have a tendency to get mad. Whenever I've brought up this discussion before in the past, I've made countless enemies. People would just condemn me like crazy. They would curse me, say I'm a false preacher and a heretic, and they call me names and foul names, all kinds of stuff. I actually had some prophet apostles literally try to bring down hellfire on me. They missed so so we need to learn to just look past our differences and look at what draws us together and that is the gospel of jesus christ and let our differences be handled with grace and mercy long suffering and patience so i just want to bring that cl clarification up before we dive into this because what i'm about to say is going to go against the grain and a lot of people are going to disagree with me potentially hopefully not that'd be Right? But even if you disagree, hear me out, bring me your Bible, show me from the scriptures without contradicting any single other point in scripture. And if you disagree, let's not get worked up and let's not get argumentative and angry or any of that kind of thing. All right. So let's proceed in the spirit of grace and mercy and in Christ likeness and let our differences just be of a non-issue. All right. Okay. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Glosson. That's a good point. So, uh, all right. So, as I said at the beginning, is a specific question is what specifically is the importance of the three points of Bible study of the Berean method? Well, now, we've talked about the verses and what they stand for, what they mean and all this stuff. and uh, But we got to understand, okay, what is the importance of it specifically? Why do we need to hold to the Berean method of studying the Word of God? 
Preparing scripture is scripture, understanding the what, the how, the why, uh, the singular interpretation of the word of God. There's only one interpretation of scripture, but then there's multiple applications. Now, why is this important? And the Wild Blue says, using the three points of the Brian method is a check, so to speak, to make sure a Christian is getting the best meaning of what's written in the Bible, use it to compare what pastors preach. I would also add to that to also keep oneself from falling into the trap of cherry picking and not pulling out full context of reading uh, because how we can uh, we can be reading through and all of a sudden one verse just seems to really jump out and we focus on that but with it we then forget the context the rest of the word of god and we don't pair scripture to scripture to get full clarification and meaning of the context of that single word verse passage we got to learn how to pair scripture scripture rightly dividing word of truth so we avoid the cult and heretical error of cherry picking which is very important for today all right let's dive into it now this topic continuationism versus cessationism we're just going to kind of take the stone and we're going to skip it across the water today is what we're going to do we're not really so much as diving into the depths on each individual point but we're just going to kind of skim the surface i got a bunch of stuff i'm going to be putting out there and i would like you to think about it all right this is what i want to do today is just cause you to think so here we go and if you appreciate appreciate these studies please give us a like give us a thumbs up make sure you subscribe hit notification bell icon it's the only way we put up new videos. All right, in today's topic, continuation versus cessationism, we are going to take our Bibles and we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Please take your Bibles, notepads and pens, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And make sure you grab your tea and grab your coffee. And I made a big mistake yesterday. I, I made a mistake. I didn't have any coffee yesterday so you may have noticed I didn't reach over I didn't grab a coffee cup once on yesterday's broadcast I, I forgot to make some and I was hoping nobody would notice but then my guilt uh, I, I made the mistake so I'm sorry I have my coffee here today so I'm ready to go all right I'll probably have to crawl up some steps on my knees and count the rosary about 50 times to, because I didn't have my coffee. <laughs> all right. Okay, First Corinthians chapter 12. I hope we're all turned there. Now, uh, we're going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 11. Okay? So First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to verse 11. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, brethren, these are born again saved, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God called Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, what does he mean by that? All spiritual gifts that there are are given out by the same Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, which is the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of God, are given by the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are different 
protocols and offices within the faith, within uh, within the church. You have the pastors and the deacons, the bishops and the elders, and all there's many different offices and positions of work. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. That God, it, that it's one spirit, one mind, there's one power behind everything. God orchestrates it all. He's the one that lays it all out. He's the one that puts the pieces into place, one mind behind it, so that there isn't chaos. It's not I feel. It's not my gifts. Well, I like the idea of those spiritual gifts. I want those ones. You don't have a say. You do not get. I do not get to pick my spiritual gifts. That's the first controversial point. I have no say in what spiritual gifts I get. That's an earth shaker for those who are in the Pentecostal charismatic movement. You cannot pick what you want to do. God has already laid it out. He's already has that which he knows he what he wants you to do. And he wants he wants to be able to use you for that. You do not get to pick what you get what, what you want to do. There are diversities of operations, but the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit manifesting the power the works the leading the guidance of the spirit of god and now notice spirit is capital s the manifestation of the spirit holy spirit is given to every man to profit with all that that now means to profit is to show to illustrate to work to to make benefit of the use of the moving in the and the guidance of the spirit of god to profit with all verse eight for to one is given by the spirit the word of wisdom to another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, verse 11, but all these, and again, he's giving some as examples here, but all these, all the spiritual gifts, worketh that one and the self-same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. There it is. The Spirit of God diversifies the spiritual gifts as he wants, as he calls, as he works, as he ordains. You don't get a say. But all these, all the spiritual gifts, verse 11, but all these worketh that one and self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So that's what we really need to understand right there. Now, to properly understand how spiritual gifts operate, we have to understand we don't have a, a, a say or a hand in the operation of it, in the diversifying of it. All that we do is that is we manifest what the, what the Lord, what God has given us, what he has given us. So how do I know what, what my spiritual gifts are? Get busy. You get busy. It is you go and you pick up the broom, you start cleaning, you start tidying up the church, put the hymnals away, uh, offer to 
uh, say, be the song leader, be the doorkeeper, or whatever. Find something to do. Pick up some tracks. Go start handing them out. Get busy, and the Lord will show you. He'll start, he'll start drawing you and directing you into that which you're comfortable of, and you'll start to know. You It will become aware. God doesn't use lazy people. You can't sit on your hands and wonder what my spiritual gifts are. He's not going to use lazy people. He's going to be using busy people. God uses busy people. So get busy. Get doing something. Start serving the Lord in some way, and he'll make it known. And he'll make it known. All right, now. So God works all these. Now, the next thing is, all right, now, okay, now I want to go down to, oh, nope, that's, okay, wrong one. So, yeah, I want to go down to chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I got a bunch of bookmarks and a bunch of points here, so I got to try to figure out where I'm going here. So let's go down to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, I've already done a, a talk multiple times in, uh, in regards to what is biblical tongues. I've done this multiple times, and uh, some people agree, some people don't. I don't really want to get into it, but I'm just going to say, and if you disagree, you're wrong. So if, if we take a look at 1 Corinthians 13 and 14, and Acts chapter 2, and multiple other uh, points of the Word of God. Biblical tongues is languages of earth. Biblical tongues is languages of earth. That this whole mystic glossolalia of the ecstatic noise making, that you see the individuals rocking back and forth and their eyes are almost rolling back in their head and they heebie jeebie yabba dabba 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 dooism. That is not biblical tongues. That's not tongues of God, and you'll never convince me of that. That's actually the, the peeping and the muttering of the wizards, as it says in Isaiah. That is completely false tongues. That's not tongues of God. That The first mention of tongues in the Bible is Tower of Babel, languages of earth. Acts chapter 2 is the next one at Pentecost, languages of earth. Then we see in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, languages of earth. There was never this, this language of angels. Okay, now in 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak of the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass or tinkling symbol. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profit me nothing. He's using examples. He's using examples. Paul is not saying he speaks in the tongue of angels because they, the, the, uh, the charismatic movement, the Pentecostal charismatic movement, cherry picks that verse to say that Paul spoke in the tongues of angels. No, he didn't. Keep reading and you'll see. Now, the same. The importance of the Berean method of scripture is scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth, is the there are certain denominations certain movements out there that absolutely utterly utterly refuse to acknowledge listen to or read verses 8 9 and 10. they they will not pay attention to it they just dismiss it they excuse it they don't pay any attention to verses 8 9 and 10 of first corinthians 13. let's take a look See, the importance of chapter 13 is Paul's emphasis on charity. 
charity is the greatest. Charity is greater than all other spiritual gifts. Let's take a look. Verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, pause there just for a second. Nowhere else in the entirety of the word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, do you ever see anywhere else where it says anything, even remotely, about any other spiritual gifts ending? This is the only passage in the entire Bible that says anything about certain gifts, certain workings of God ending. And there's only three. Prophecies, tongues, words of knowledge. Now let's take a look at this. Now what it means by prophecies, what does it mean by that? Well, because we do see that we also have to acknowledge that there is a difference between the early church, well firstly, between the Old Testament and New Testament. There is a difference. That's called a dispensational change. Between the early church operation and today, there's a difference. We don't have apostles anymore. <laughs> Unless you're about 2,000 years old, or Christ came again and, and we didn't know, you're not an apostle. An apostle is one who, is, who has seen the risen Lord with their own eyes, been taught by Christ face to face, personally and personally been appointed as an apostle by christ visions and dreams don't count so unless you personally have experienced these things which you haven't you're not an apostle we don't have apostles anymore the apostle paul and apostle john are the last apostles when they died that was the end of the line of the apostleship okay now there are changes there are differences okay so now prophecies if we take a look at prophecy here, now there's a difference between prophesying as in, say, like Elijah or Samuel, and then prophesying the word of God. So there's a foretelling and a forthtelling. Foretelling is like Elijah or the prophets, or they would give a prophecy prophesying giving prophecies that's called foretelling telling of future things yet to happen of new divine messages from god we speak to you and utter these things then there's forth telling which is to proliferate to preach to proclaim which what i'm doing right now that uh, in prophesying the word of god it means to uh, to forth tell to speak of the things which are given here that's that's a big difference between foretelling now, prophecies here, this is foretelling. Shall fail, will come to an end. Whether there be tongues, tongue speaking. Now, again, this is not like we Acts chapter 2. Now, how hear we every man them speak in our languages the wonderful works of God, of the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and the dwellers above Mesopotamia and Cappadocia and Pontus and, and Pamphylia? Uh, the languages actual languages of earth like for example if i suddenly just started speaking fluently mandarin chinese 
that is an example of, of God-given biblical tongues. So it's languages of birth. Uh, but you also have the understanding of what you're saying, that it's not just pouring out of you and you having a clue what you're saying. As we see by 1 Corinthians 14, that if you're going to speak in an, un, in an unknown tongue, you will speak with the understanding also. You'll sing with, you'll pray with, with the understanding also is what it says. So, so if you're manifesting tongues and you haven't a clue what you're saying, that's not of God. That's self-confusion and God is not the author of confusion. So languages of earth, they shall cease. Now look at what it also says in verse 8. Whether there be knowledge. Now this is the understanding of words of knowledge. The new divine impartations of the new mystic revelations of God. Of new teachings, new doctrine, new words of knowledge. You often hear that some people say things. I got I to... Gotta, Word, word of knowledge, but it'll cost you 50 bucks to know it. That, so they, they say they have these new teachings from God, of new teachings, of, uh, new doctrines, new understandings. That doesn't happen. Whether there be words of knowledge, it shall vanish away. So these three things, foretelling, tongues, words of knowledge, will come to an end. When? Verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come. Now, just hold up for a second. When was this written? During the time of the Apostle Paul. Was the whole word of God given yet? No, there's still a lot more scriptures yet, yet to be penned down by, uh, by the direct Theonoustos, God-breathing given by inspiration of God as he spoke to his servants and told them what to write. So there's still a lot more to come. In the early church, they did not have the full word of God yet. So because of that, they still they had apostles and prophets in the early church. But we do see a change and something happen. As we dive into this part here. Now, if we go, hold your finger here, put a bookmark in here. And we want to go back to Luke. There's an important point back here. Luke chapter 16. And. Okay. Jesus says something here. Jesus has a word here. And Luke chapter 16 verse 16. The law and the prophets. Were until John. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Now, the law and the prophets are until John. Okay, what is happening here? The dispensational change as the Messiah has come, that the prophets were the declarers, that they, they were those, uh, the heralds of Christ is what they're called. They would speak uh, of the Messiah, the Christ that would come, and they would, they would tell about this, and then Christ finally came. And when Christ came, the line of the prophets came to an end. The law and the prophets are until John. But people say, but there are prophets in the early church. Bear with me. Now, what this means is John the Baptist was the last born prophet because there were some that outlived him. Remember, John died in a younger age because he had his head chopped off. But there were some, like Agabus, who was an old man. 
Now, there were prophets in the early church, but the line here was to see the Christ came. The word was finally given. The prophets speak of the word and prophesy the word, but the word was made flesh. Now, the law and the prophets are until John. John the Baptist was the last born prophet, according to Jesus. Yes, there were prophets in the early church, but, but they were obviously then born before John and outlived him as he was beheaded. Like Agabus, for example, an old man, an old prophet in the early church. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 10, as we were just reading, but how these, the, these lines will come to an end. That which is perfect is the full, completed word of God. There are so many people who say, no, that which is perfect is come is the second coming of Jesus. No, that's not true. That which is perfect is come is the fully, final, completed word of God. This is now our oracle, not man. If you call yourself a prophet, you are calling yourself an oracle of God, and you are literally then equal to the word of God. You are an oracle of God, and you speak the, the mystic, divine, inspired words of God that God speaks to you directly and you don't even need the Bible that you can that you can speak divine messages equal to the value of the Word of God you're an oracle just like the Bible is that's what people are saying by calling themselves a prophet so first Corinthians 14 talks about them in the church that these these individuals of the prophets in the early church were the fill-ins until the word of god is completed but once it was completed we now have a more sure word of prophecy let's go over to second peter we go over to second peter and chapter one second peter chapter one and we just want to start at verse 16. now listen to this carefully Second Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 16. Uh, Peter says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a, such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What is Peter referring to? The Mount of Transfiguration event. All right. So he's referring to this about what they saw, what they heard. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard. We heard this voice. When we were with him in the Holy Mount, they were standing right with Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. And the voice of the Father audibly spoke while they saw Moses and Elijah with Jesus, with the voice of the Father, this huge event. We heard this. We saw this. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. But, verse 19, what does he say? What does he say? We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as are moved by the Holy Ghost. Then we want to go over to Timothy. Second Timothy. Chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, all scripture is given, theonoustos, God breathed, 
is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. Perfect. The word is perfect in the Koine Greek. Many translations change that. It's perfect. Fully completed, wrapped up with a nice bow, done. Perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That the man of God may be perfect. That which is perfect. Which is even better, more sure than even the audible voice of God. God says, my word is above my very name. That the word of God is even higher than the names of God. The word of God is more sure than even divine messages from heaven and voices of the sky. That's what scripture says right there. It's what it says. That which is perfect is come is the final fully completed word of God. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part temporary, limited, shall be done away. What are the only things that the Bible says that will be done away? Foretelling, tongues, words, and knowledge. Done. When? When the word of God is finally completed. That's what it says. That's what it says, folks. That's what it says right there. So, with that then, many point to Joel and Acts regarding the prophecy of, In that day I will pour out my spirit, and the young men shall prophesy, and old men shall dream dreams. Again, it says prophesy, not will be prophets. There's a difference. There's foretelling, foretelling. The point of a prophet is to speak revelations from God as God gives them. But as the word of God has come, both contexts, there is no further need for new revelations. The issue is that many who claim to be prophets also have the problem of not believing in the absolute authority of Scripture because God speaks to me directly. And they do not need to rely on the word of God as the final absolute authority. They always say, well, God told me, God showed me, God gave me a word, God spoke to me. I have a word from the Lord. And it's and they don't need the absolute final authority of the word of God. They are equal to or sometimes surpassing this. I personally know an individual who claims to be a prophet and says he does not even need to read the Bible at all because God speaks to him directly. And they do not need to rely on the Bible. Many, I know, even say they don't need to read the Bible. I haven't read it in a long time. Now, who would cause someone to believe that? To get them away from the authority of Scripture. Or to even question the authority of Scripture. Who would want to do that and why? The meaning of prophesying is to speak the word of God like a pastor, evangelist, or Bible teacher. You don't need to be a prophet to teach the word of God. So no, prophets do not exist anymore according to the word of God, according to Christ. There's no need for them today because we have the final completed word of God. What could a prophet tell you that the Bible doesn't already? 
Think about that one. What could a prophet tell you that the scriptures don't already? Prophets don't exist anymore according to Christ. There's no need for them. And anyone claiming themselves to be a prophet is doing so mistakenly. The gift of the prophet is done away by the arrival of the word of God, the final fully completed scriptures. This is this is the now the oracle. This is now the oracle by which God speaks. It is complete and God no longer gives new revelations. News is complete. The early church prophets were the ones that outlived John. All right. The early church prophets were the ones that outlived John, like Agabus, for example, who warned Paul from going to Jerusalem. And they were the fill-ins. They were the fill-ins until the finalization of the word of God has fully come. Second Peter 1, 16 to 21. That's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. We have a more sure word of prophecy now. What is it? The word of God. That when the completion of the word of God was done, the human oracles ceased, and the word of God is now the authority, not man. So there you go. Now, the gift of the prophets is done away by the arrival of the scriptures. This, this is now the oracle of God, which God speaks. It is complete, and God no longer gives new revelations. Revelation 22, verses 18 to 19. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. So, no, prophets don't exist anymore, according to Christ. There's no need for them. And anyone calling themselves a prophet is making themselves equal to the scriptures. Now, the issue, the issue here is that people say that God speaks to me directly and they don't need to rely on the scriptures. That is one of the big drawbacks. And you'll see that in the movements and the denominations of people where they don't believe in this and they come up with all kinds of other teachings. And like Paul says, how is it that every one of you hath a wind of doctrine? There's confusion. Now, also, just, just to throw in just a little bit of a another rabbit trail here. Here's something I'd also challenge everyone here with. On top of all of this. On top of all of this. Could you please show me one? Just one. Just one one so-called prophet today that is not mixed up in the pentecostal charismatic movement specifically the prosperity gospel i do not know of one so-called self-professed and it's always self-professed it's always self-professed that it's even in their titles Prophet so-and-so. I've I've actually seen the most holy apostle prophet. And then their name. <laughs> Could you please name for me one prophet of the Bible that called themselves a prophet? Could you name for me one Bible prophet who actually called themselves a prophet? It, it's always self-professed prophets that are always also mixed up with the money-grubbing, money-gospel, prosperity-gospel movement. They always got the Cash Me Link app, PayPal Me Link app in their bios, and every second breath 
is sow a seed, sow a seed, and they try to guilt trip you into sowing seeds of money. When the Bible flat out says the seed is the word of God, not money. Now, I get I digress, but I that really gets me going, and I want to just hammer this one down. So I'm just rabbit trailing just for a second, just to really emphasize this. Ezekiel 13, verses 3 to 9. God's hand is against and condemns the prophets of vanity with lying signs and wonders, lying divinations, saying the Lord has spoken when he has not spoken. We also see 1 Corinthians 9, 16 to 18, where Paul says, I preach the gospel of Christ without charge. And we also see in 1 Timothy that uh, 1 Timothy, where it says, and those that suppose that gain is godliness from such withdraw yourself. The Bible actually condemns the prosperity movement. But please show me a so-called self-professed prophet that is not tied into that whole movement. So there. And again, just to emphasize and regarding to apostles, that there are no more apostles today either. There are no more apostles today either. An apostle is one who has seen the risen Lord with their own eyes in person. Dreams and visions do not count. That the they were taught by Christ personally, face to face, and were appointed by Christ as an apostle. So unless you're about 2,000 years old or Christ came again, we didn't know, you're not an apostle. All right, so there's that. I'm sure I made a lot of enemies with that one. And I also want to take a look at this one as well. Lying prophets and the prosperity gospel. Again, we want to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 to 18. Uh, Paul even speaks about this, at, uh, that he preaches the gospel of Christ without charge. He's not in it for money or wealth or power. 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 5. Supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw yourself. Ezekiel 13, 3 to 9, uh, God's uh, judgment against the prophets of vanity. Okay, now, so we laid the foundation here on about in regards specifically to spiritual gifts and which ones that the Bible specifically says are done away. Which ones are done away and which ones are not. So, again, the cessationist says that they're all done away, but the Bible doesn't say that. The scriptures only say only three are gone. So then let's just, let's just use our sanctified minds and think about this in a biblical scriptural context. If the scriptures only say that three specific gifts are done Pro prophecies of foretelling tongues words of knowledge how can we then say that all the others are gone you see the continuationist says that they're all still valid today no the Bible says there are three that are done away. So the continuationists are wrong. And the cessationists are wrong. It's right in the middle. That there are some gifts that are still on, on and still valid today. And there are some that are not. 
think about it. So here's here's another thought I want to throw into the midst of this. John chapter 7, verse 38. Okay? Let's take a look at John chapter 7, verse 38. Jesus says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, Following as Jesus says, if you, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask what you will, it shall be done unto you. To abide in, to live in. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, to be biblically accurate and following the word of God as your authority, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ according to the gospel scripture, out of his belly shall flow the rivers of living water. Now what is he implying? This is the working of the Spirit of God through you, working the works of God, working the gifts of God, speaking the words of God as the Spirit gives you utterance. That's what that means there. Out of his belly, that it'll just come as a natural byproduct. It'll just pour out of you. You will nat naturally manifest these things as the Lord will guide you. That's what he means there. That the Spirit of God will, will speak to you, will help you, will guide you, will manifest through you, when you believe upon the Lord and follow him as the scriptures have said. Okay? Now, 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, to abide in him and his word abide in you. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Why are they coming to ask you about the hope that is in you? They see something different. There's something about you that is being manifested that is drawing them. James chapter 2. Words are cheap. Prove it. You want to manifest these things that your love of Christ is known. When you fall in love with someone, it's a secret thing, right? No one else knows. No, it's it's about as blatant as all get out. Everyone around you knows it is so obvious. And then you can't stop looking at them. You can't stop talking about them. You can't stop wishing you could be in their presence and, and to hang out with them. It's so obvious. The same thing goes with Jesus Christ and the Word of God. It is so obvious. It manifests. It just, it's just a nat natural point. You can't shut up about it. That's what it's about. Now, many say that the miracles and supernatural manifestations were only for the early church time. Well, some of the things were for certain reasons and whatnot, because the dispensation was different. Well, yes, the dispensation was different, and there were some things different from then till now. Yes, the apostles had certain gifts, as they also had apostles, and we don't. But that does not mean that we were not given authority to manifest the aspects of the Spirit of God here and now as well. All Scripture is given and is profitable. And as God doesn't change, then neither does His Word as it was from Him. We, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
as much as cessationists don't want to hear it, are given the authority of healing, supernatural healings. People say, well, then if you have the powers to go to the hospitals and do it, well, that's not how they did it back then either. There is reasons and purposes for these things. That miracles that were done for, were for the purpose of opening the eyes of the unsaved to, to, the, uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To encourage the saints and stuff that they do happen. But there must be a protocol about it. They didn't just go about willy-nilly healing anyone and everyone for, for no reason. No, there was a purpose. They were bringing them to Christ. Those whose hearts were softened and were desiring to want to know, who were willing to hear the gospel of Christ, that God would bless them. And the individuals themselves did not have magic powers in and of themselves. It was the Spirit of God working through the individual. No person has the, has the healing power in and of themselves. No one did. No one ever did. It was the Spirit of God would work through them in this manner for a purpose. The Spirit of God would do it. We, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, can heal and help and cast out devils and all sorts of things. But the thing in how it works is in the attitude of the heart. This is where the charismatics go wrong. They just look at the ability and not where it's coming from. As we see, for example, in John 15, verse 7, if ye abide in me, to abide, to live in completely in me, and my words, all scripture, abides, lives in you, then ask, Second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, which are called by my name, should humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Then ask what you will. Mark 11, 22 to 24. Let's take a look. Mark 11, 22 to 24. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be, be, thou, cast in, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Well, how do we know what the will of God is? Are you abiding in Christ and his word abiding in you? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you are you uh, seeking to die daily and, and su suppress the flesh with the affections and lust thereof and walk in the spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh? then naturally the Spirit of God will manifest the desires and you will naturally know and be naturally praying in accordance with his will. You will not be seeking those things that dishonor him. You will naturally not be praying those things which are dishonorable, but rather that which is honorable. It comes as a natural byproduct. You shall ask what you will. Your desire will become the desire of God. Your will will naturally fall upon what the will of the Father is because the Spirit of God will be manifesting it in you, the desires. And it shall be done unto you, James 1, 6 to 7. You'll be asking in faith, not wavering. Psalms 66, 18. You will not be hiding sin and iniquity in your heart, and the Lord will hear you. Proverbs 28, 9. You will not be ignoring scripture, but will be believing all scripture so that the Lord will hear your prayers. It comes down to absolute belief and obedience, trust. Isaiah 7, verse 9. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9. 
and we want to look at the last part of the verse where he says, if ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. If ye will not believe, surely you will not be established. Your desires and what you want will not come to pass because you are not obedient and walking in the Lord in all things. Your prayers are wavering and your faith is wavering. Oh, you're asking a miss to heap upon your lusts like Kenneth Copeland. Uh, I want a new jetliner and a mansion with silk suits like Benny Hinn. That's heaping upon your lust. That's not what the Lord has said. It, it build up for yourselves treasure in heaven, not treasure on earth. It's not about having your best life now. Not about that. To believe that what it, what is the will of God according to scripture? What does God want the saints to do here and now in this life? If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Let's take a look. Colossians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. What, chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest. Make what manifest? Christ. Make Christ manifest. As I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward them that are without the unsaved, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. To speak the things which God wants, to know what God's will is, John chapter 6. Let's go to John chapter 6. Verses 28 and 29. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Verses 39 and 40. And this is the Father's will, the will of God, which hath sent me, that all, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up the last day. What's the will of the Father? That you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you believe on the Lord and love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and you abide in him and as a word abides in you, and you suppress the flesh, the affections, and lust thereof, and you walk in the spirit, what naturally, instinctually happens? The spirit of God is able to use you. The spirit of God will not be opposed and suppressed. Your, your conscience will not be seared. You will be repentant and penitent and loving and desiring of God that to walk in him in all things you will you will die to self you will seek to die to self you will seek to separate yourself from uh, from this world to be different to come out from among them be separate saith the lord and touch not the unclean thing to be holy as i am holy to be perfect as he is perfect that's how the lord can use you it's not about me it's not about me it's not about my gifts it's about the Spirit of Christ that lives in the heart of every believer. Consider salvation. The same faith that you have in Christ to be saved. You, you, you know that you're saved. How? And you believe it. 
without question. You know what the gospel is. You know who Jesus is. You have such faith in Christ and you have such faith in his work. You believe and you are born again saved. You place this exact same faith of understanding and knowledge and belief and trust upon the rest of the story. Upon the rest of the story as completely and literal and true. The sea actually split. The jar of oil really did not run out. The dead actually came back to life. The iron axe head actually floated. The staff of Moses actually turned into a snake. Jesus and Peter actually walked on water. The, 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 multi, the multiplying of the bread and the fish, the water turned to wine. These actually happened in our world for real. We say we believe these things, but sometimes we don't really think about this as, as actually being real world literal. And we can sometimes push it back in our minds to forget the literality of it. Actual supernatural miracles are 100% literal and possible. God doesn't change. His workings don't change. And we were only told only three things would end. Foretelling, like Old Testament prophets, words of knowledge, new revelations and teachings from God, and Biblical world language tongues would cease. Nothing else. Now think about that. Think about that. First Corinthians 13, 8 to 10. Only three things would end. So does that mean then, as Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you? Is how this is limited how we view that God is able in, in, to work in our lives how we limit ourselves in our study and belief of the authority of Scripture how we walk with the Lord in all honesty and sincerity and fervency and passion the thing is that all this is not of us our abilities do not limit the abilities of Christ we have nothing to do with the manifestation of the gifts. We only speak as the Spirit gives us utterance, as we see in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. All things come from the Spirit of God, and He is the one that guides us in the moment as He sees fit. He gives us the words and guides our steps as He directs. He is the one that, that is able to break the laws of physics. He is the one that heals the sick, opens the eyes of the blind, raises the dead, casts out the devils. He is the one. His name, his word, his power, not us. John 14, 26. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. For example, the Pentecostal charismatic movement, the continuationists, are close. Very close. They have great belief in the possibility of the supernatural. But they miss the entire point of fundamental biblical doctrinal study and belief of the authority absolute authority of scripture and the cessationistic 
fundamentalists have great biblical knowledge, but they lack belief of faith in the miraculous. But, but if we can couple these two things together, we then find the full key to unlocking this mystery. Many want the benefits of God without having to work for it. And I mean work as in obedience, as in the verses I cited before from Psalms and whatnot. The key when you combine the two is dying to self. Becoming that which the Lord can fully possess. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. And we want verse 22. Proverbs 8, 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. The word possessed means to be filled, to be indwelt by. The Lord possessed. We are indwelt by the spirit of God that Christ lives in the heart of every believer. The spirit of the living God comes down and possesses me. Proverbs 8.22, to fills, fills me up. And he is able then to work through us without hindrance when we die to self and we get out of the way. A great explanation I once read on this is, for example, the father sits on his throne reigning sovereign, has no need of a body. Jesus sits on the right hand of the father, already has a body has no need of a further body. But the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, that lives in the heart of every believer, has need of a body. Will you give him yours? Being able to be completely used and directed so that we don't need to worry or doubt or fear or stress about anything we say or pray because the Spirit of God will give us the words with which to say in the very moment, and he will teach us how to pray as we ought, and the steps of, the, of a righteous man will be guided, because we are praying without ceasing, loving the Lord with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. Nothing is left of ourselves. And thusly, we become, as Scripture talks about, channels through which God can work freely. We go forth and work the works of God, because the Spirit of God is guiding us in what to do. We know what to say. We stand up before the people because he gives us the words with which to say in the very same hour. That, that we don't have to worry about what to pray or how to pray or what to pray for because he teaches us how to pray in the moment. Nothing is left up to us. I don't have to guess. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to fear. I don't have to say, oh, I wonder if this is his will. Because we are naturally working his will. We are naturally working his will. This is what the charismatics, continuationists, and the cessationists don't understand. This is what they don't understand. The continuationists and cessationists don't understand this. It's right in the middle. It's all the knowledge and the doctrine and obedience coupled with absolute belief in the supernatural. God is a person with emotions, personal attributes, characteristics. God laughs. God cries. God gets angry. God is personal. 
and desires a close relationship with each of us. And those closest to him are able to manifest aspects of that relationship. Think about that one. The devotional life is the time we spend in communication, discussion, and building a life with the person of God. Now, flippancy, religiosity, and traditionalizing this relationship is irreverent, disrespectful to the person of God. Traditionalizing relationship, being apathetic and flippant about. If we were to treat our spouses and our loved ones as we treat God, how do you think our physical relationships would last? The way, the amount of time you spend with God, the way you talk to him, the way you treat him is the same way you treat your spouses and loved ones. How do you think your relationships would fare? How long do you think they would fare? I don't think those relationships would last very long, I would presume. So therefore, we must remember Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62. And we want verses 6 to 7. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. We see a constant communication with the Lord, a constant remembrance of the Lord, a constant fellowship with the Lord, a con constant being in the presence of the Lord day and night. Keep not silence. Keep not silence. The reality of God and his ways as literal person. Think about this one. The reality of God is he's literal person. Treat him as such. This will ward off apathy and forgetfulness and will stop this mystic spirit of religiosity of traditionalizing and, and denominationalizing and splitting and and being schismatic about the person of god get away from that and look at him as an actual person this is who he is he's god but he's person he's our father our friend our redeemer he's closer than, than a brother he comes down and walks with us and talks with us. He laughs with us. He cries with us. He's our father, our friend, our God, our king. Treat him as such. This will ward off apathy and forgetfulness and stop the mystic spirit of religiosity from overtaking our relationship with the person of God. The physical reality that we live in. Go like this with your hands. This physical reality is potty. It's putty that is molded by the hands of praying faith. And the spiritual reality is more real than the physical. The spiritual reality raises the dead, parts the sea, can turn the bread, turn stone into bread, can bring bread from the sky, cause a jar of oil to not run out, 
can open the eyes of the blind. The physical reality can't do that. The spiritual does. The spiritual reality is more real than the physical. If we would learn to stop, to stop binding our faith in physicality, stop binding our faith and traditional religiosity, stop binding it to physical materialistic law of what I can perceive of my senses. That God is greater than that. That he can do things that can blow our minds. God stopped all time and space for Joshua. When Joshua called upon in faith of the Lord and commanded the sun and the moon to stand still so that they could finish the battle, God froze time and space. The earth stopped spinning. God stopped everything so they could finish the battle. And it says, never again was, was such a thing ever seen. God did that. It actually happened. The sea is not supposed to split. God is not held to the laws of physics. And neither should our thinking. Neither should our prayers. Stop limiting the Lord. The sea is not supposed to split. The dead are not supposed to be raised. People are not supposed to be able to walk on water. This is why Christ said, whatsoever you desire, ask. Because when we are living in complete communion with the Lord, our asking will be in line with his. Because the Spirit of God then is telling us what we should ask. What is the will of God? John 6, as we looked at. That you should believe upon Christ, to believe upon him without limitations. When you believe in Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, out of you will flow springs of living water. The good works and righteous desires. And the and naturally, instinctively, you will desire the things of God. And naturally, instinctively, you will hate the things that he hates. Hebrews 1.9. Let's look at Hebrews 1.9. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. You are filled with the gladness of God because you see what he is capable of, and you don't have to worry about it. The prison doors will be opened like it was for Peter. Isaiah 55, 11. Let's look at Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be, my word, the words of God. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, Theonustos, God breathe. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. His word is absolute. It doesn't change. It is above his very name and is preserved unto all generations. Psalms 12, 6 to 7. So why would the abilities of God not be for today? I ask the cessationists. Why would the abilities of God not be for today? Nowhere, nowhere from Old Testament to New Testament, nowhere does God clarify that that's the case, that his abilities are ended. Only three things. Foretelling, tongues, words of knowledge. 
His word will go forth and accomplish all that it is sent to. So when we are walking completely sold out to the Lord in full faith, prayer, and obedience to all his word and ways, the Spirit of God will tell us what to declare decree. It's not, I, I declare, I decree. No, I don't do any of that. The word of God declares. The word of God decrees. What? That all would believe upon Christ. That the saints be strengthened, the oil of gladness be poured on their heads, the church be built, and people get saved, and that Christ be magnified. That is what is declared and decreed. Nothing else. I don't declare or decree anything other than what the scriptures flat out say. My desires are this. My words are this. But the whole idea of I declare and decree thing has been completely abused and misused and misrepresented and completely pulled out of context out of the word of God. Everything he says and does is in line with his wording, and it's not just for our satiation. I declare all credit cards will be paid off. That is heaping up on your lust. That is nonsense. Or like Kenneth Copeland, I declare that the, the virus be gone. I condemn you, uh, virus. And he blows into the camera. And it's, just, it's just stupid. But the point of it, the point of all the abilities, the point of the supernatural, the point of the word of God, the point of all this is to, is to prove God's abilities. To bring people into the remembrance of God. To bring people to the glory of God jesus christ and his salvation to prove his abilities and his reality for the unsaved miracles are for two things miracles are for two things the exhortation of the saints and for helping drawing and showing the lost the one way one truth one life of jesus christ that's all that miracles are for it's not even a question it's a Stupid question. It's not even a question. Are miracles for today? Or can they happen? That's a stupid question. But rather, the question is, is God able to use you to do it? And the follow-up question would be, what could cause God to not be able to use you? It comes down to obedience, love, and complete blind faith. Complete blind faith in him. Like Daniel in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the burning fiery furnace. Or like Peter walking on the water. The leper before Christ. Or the odd miracle we may even see today. God is able to do above and beyond all that we could say, do, or think. So obey him and then ask whatsoever you desire during complete penitence, obedience, and love. Those who honor me, I will honor, God says. God can part the sea today. To say he, he couldn't, well, then your God is not the God of the Bible. God can part the sea today. He can move the mountain literally. He is able to heal. God is able. And he is only looking for those who will stand up and be able to be used by God so that it can be done. For his purpose, his glory, his magnificence, 
and his alone. Those who did such things in time past were the prophets and apostles and disciples and saints of God who preached, taught, and demonstrated full obedience and love of the Lord according to full doctrine and righteousness of God. There's no watering down, flippancy, or half measure with them. So we want to combine the two. Absolute 100% blind faith and the complete possibilities of what God is able to do. He spoke the universe into existence. We're not gods. We don't have power. We never have, never will. He does. But we can be servants of his. We can walk today like the saints of old walked to bring people to the knowledge of the Lord. The reason the prophets were, did these things was to show the people that God is with them while they taught doctrine to bring people to the knowledge is that they see that God is in them of a truth. That that obviously God is working with them. God is blessing them. That they are speaking the words of God. Because look, God is working through them. So they would draw people to the Lord. We do the same thing. The reason we walk and talk and work is to bring people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God manifested in the flesh. To bring people to the knowledge of Christ so they would believe and they would repent and believe and be saved. Or the saints would be strengthened and encouraged because they see that God is in you of a truth. Those who honor me, I will honor. How are you honoring the Lord? Is it honoring to the Lord to doubt even remotely any single aspect of Scripture? Or is it doubting the Lord to say, I, I don't know if God would do that. You're limiting the Lord. Many people, many Christians pray doubting. They, they pray, Lord, would you please do this in the back of their minds? Thinking, oh, but it probably won't. And they, and they start questioning and doubting and fearing that maybe, you know, Lord, could you do this if it's your will? And they throw in that cop-out line so that if it doesn't put, come true that they won't be so put out. But God is not going to answer that prayer because that's praying not in faith. That's praying wavering and doubting. Well, how do I know if I'm praying his will? How's your relationship? If you're walking in the Lord and of the Lord, by the Lord, for the Lord, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, seeking repentance and penitence and love and devotion, abiding in him and his word abiding in you, out of you will naturally flow the natural desire of the Spirit of God through your prayers. And you won't have to doubt. You don't even have to doubt your prayers. And you can know that what you're praying is the will of God because you naturally aren't praying dishonorably to the lord you're not seeking to heap upon your lust you're asking of him and he's guiding you don't doubt it in faith walk in faith pray in faith speak because the lord is with you the lord is in you. the lord can speak to you he speaks to you from the scriptures that which is perfect has come and you don't need to worry about a thing and confusion fear and doubt is not of god if you have to ask the question i wonder if that was of god then it wasn't of god because he'll speak to you from the scriptures and back it up with his word. And it'll be so clear and obvious that this is what it is. And his word is the authority of it. That what his word condemns is still condemned. What his word calls sin is still sin. And that which he blesses is blessed. You don't have to worry about a thing. It's not about denominationalism and religiosity and traditionalism and the do's and do nots. It's about your heart attitude with Christ. How are you walking with the Lord? How do you love the Lord? What does the Lord mean to you? 
Are you seeking his face regularly? Are you bringing him into everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God? Think about it. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. That God will guide your very steps. He'll guide your words. He'll guide your thoughts. He'll guide your hands. He'll guide your life. He guides everything. If you want him to. See, that's the that's the one big problem of a lot of Christians. They do not want to surrender every single portion of their life. That at some level, at some point, they want to retain some form of semblance of control. God doesn't own all of you then. You have not died to him completely. You need to let it all go. Let it, your doubts, your fear, your control, your life, your family, your finances, everything. Give it all to the Lord. You're just the caretaker of it. You do not call the shots of it. You, you do not have to worry about it. He's the owner. He's the boss. He's the king. He controls. He just tells you how to care for now his possessions and his life. Your life becomes his life. He now owns your home. He's the mortgage holder. He's the food provider. He's the instructor and the teacher. He's the counselor. He's the one that does it all. If we would learn to just let go and let God work. Not fear, not worry, not doubt, no matter what it is. Give it all to him. That's where God can work through. And this is where you will start to see the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit of God. You will start to see how God works. He, that he'll manifest your spiritual gifts. You will see the supernatural workings of God and his provisions and his help and his guidance, his wisdom. And your life will be so better off. Because you no longer have anything to stress about. God is able to do it. God has, God does, God will. But will you let him? People say, well, we don't let God anything. You can hinder. You can hinder. Or you can get out of the way. As for me and my house, I want to get out of the way. That I combine the two. I want to know how God works, how God speaks, what his authority is. That I want to seek that, as, as Timothy puts it, to be perfect in understanding all these things. Are you saying you're perfect? No. But we're to seek to strive to be. Strive for the mastery of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We are not perfect, but we are seek, be perfect as he is perfect. We're to seek that, to try, to strive for that. I want to know what God says about all things. I bring everything back to his word because his word is the absolute authority. I want to know what God says about it. And I will not presume my feelings upon it. I do not presume what I think, what I feel, what I want, anything of me. I get out of the way. If he says it's right or wrong, that's what it is. If he, whatever he says, he calls the shots. If God was to say to stand on your head in the corner and spit nickels, then at least you're going to try. That's how it is. I'm a servant of the Lord and he calls the shots. I do not presume to put words in God's mouth. And if God says that certain things are passed away, that certain things are gone, certain things are done, or certain things are sin, or certain things are abomination... 
or certain things are forsaken, certain things are to be avoided, then that's what it is. I can't presume to say otherwise. To say otherwise or to presume to put words in God's mouth is blasphemy. You are then fabricating a God of your imagination because you do not like the God of Scripture. You want a God that agrees with you. I want to learn how to agree with God. I want to learn how to die to self. I want to learn to let, let go my presuppositions. Any, any ideology, doctrine, opinion, feeling, sense, that contradicts the word of God, even remotely, is wrong. I got to learn to let go of anything, no matter what it is. Old indoctrination, old teachings, uh, commentaries, catechisms, creeds, or councils, or other people's feelings and opinions, or whatever. Let it go. If it contradicts the word of God, even remotely. If even one single verse contradicts something, then it's wrong. What does the word of God say? Spiritual gifts. It's not even a question. Not even a question. Miracles, supernatural uh, appearances and workings of God. Not even a question. What is the question? Is how is God able to use me? Could God use me? Will I like him? That's what it comes down to. So there you go, folks. This is, again, my study on this topic, what I've come to understand about. Cessationism, continuationism is nonsense. Nonsense. But what it is according to the word of God, we got to learn to stop binding things down to, uh, to camping and clicks and camps. And I have big fancy titles and words by big names this is what it is that they are they are the voices of god that they are writing scripture that their commentaries and their books are are equal to script no 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 the big fancy titles or specific doctrines no we got to learn to be careful you say what are you a cessationist or continuationist neither so what do you believe then the word of god we got to learn to stop labeling ourselves we're born again christians if you believe in the lord god jesus christ by grace through faith belief alone period then you're a born again christian stop titling yourself other than christian you're a born again christian by grace through faith christian and we're brothers and sisters in christ and we can't we shouldn't draw schisms and differences between each other because we don't agree on subcategory doctrines. Now, what do I mean by that? You have the primary doctrines and the secondary doctrines. Primary doctrines are those doctrines that in and of themselves are salvationary, that if you get any of these wrong, you go to hell. Secondary doctrines are, are teachings and doctrines and theology that in and of themselves are not salvationary. We can disagree on the secondary, but we agree on the primary. As long as we have the primaries right, we treat each other as members of the body of Christ. 
respectively, honorably. So let us bring things to the word of God. This is our instructor. This is our teacher. This is our charter of rights and freedoms, our constitution. This is our everything. This is our everything. It has an answer for absolutely every single thing that we could possibly think, say, or do in this life. Let us search it out. As a man seeking for hid treasure, seeking for wisdom, as the scriptures say, let's do it then. Let's shut off those things that would bring schisms and differences between us. And in the, in the body of Christ, as born-again Christians, we unite in the word of the living God and nothing else. And living as God would want us to live as servants of our Lord Jesus Christ, to bring people to the knowledge of Christ, to believe on him and be saved, and to bring the saints to the joy of Christ in peace and unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There you go. All right. So that's all I have to say on that one. I hope that makes sense. I hope you enjoyed that. Please give this a like, give us a thumbs up if you appreciate this study. Please, again, go through this, share this around. And appreciate it. Give us a uh, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe. Hit notification bell icon so you know when we put up new videos. And now I go through the comments and see if I missed anything. All right, so we address that. Um, <laughs> yeah, no coffee. Yeah, yesterday I didn't have coffee. Now I do. Okay, and go down. All right. Okay, going to see all you people have a long conversation here. Everybody's already answered. Um, yeah, the Bible doesn't answer every question. Amen, Olga. Okay. Okay. Uh, Molly Brown says, "How how do they get it wrong?" My friend. My friend loved the Lord, studies scripture, yet still believes God audibly speaks. Well, he can, he could, but they, here, here's the thing. The thing is, if God was to, why? God doesn't do flippant things, and God is never going to contradict his word. That's one thing we do know. And God is not the author of confusion. If we even have to ask the question, I wonder if, then it wasn't. And here's the other thing. If God was to speak, he'd be speaking what he's already written, and the audible audible voice would be unnecessary. But if you but if there was a voice that was to speak and it contradicts this, then it's not God. So it comes down to, well, this. What would God say that he hasn't hasn't already said? What would he tell what could he possibly tell you that he's not already given? That there's already a teaching, a doctrine, a, an instruction for absolutely every single thing you could possibly think. So what else would he need to say? And even though we could hear an audible voice, we have a more sure word of prophecy, as Peter said. It's because people like that, like you're talking about this individual, does not believe in the, in the absolute authority of the word of God. That's what it comes down to. It's a question of authority. He doesn't want to accept Bible. That's what it is. All right. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, 
Okay. Uh, and it says, is, is that the explanation of Christian witchcraft? Well, that's a whole nother thing. Uh, first off, it's not Christian at all. There's no such thing as Christian witchcraft. It's witchcraft. They just, they're just trying, they're stealing our name and trying to put our name to it to try to justify it. Uh, no, it, that, what that is, is they believing that they in and of themselves have the power. And when you believe that you in and of yourself have the power, that you have divine mystic abilities, whatever, and magic abilities in yourself, that is witchcraft. For you take from God the divine power and give it to yourself. That's witchcraft. Uh, those who use no so no no it's uh but again those that are trying to use those three, three that they are deceived it doesn't mean that they're they're in witchcraft it means that they're deceived that they're deceived and they're in error and they're in delusion could a christian fall into the error of believing that those three things are still in effect today yeah can a christian make mistakes yes can a christian be deceived yes can a christian fall into delusion yes that's why it's important to test the spirit of all things by the word of God. Uh, all right, going down through. Then people are talking about the chosen. Yes, yes. Season, season, season two, episode two comes out tonight. I'm stoked. I absolutely love it. That the first episode of season two was phenomenal. If you haven't seen the chosen series yet, please go check it out. You can watch it for free online. If you start with season one, it'll blow your mind. It is so good. I highly recommend it. Please go check out The Chosen. It is one of the best series out there on the life of Christ I've ever seen. Please go check it out. Okay. Uh, okay. Sarah asked a question. Are you in a certain denomination or what kind of church do you go to? Um, all right. So I was raised baptist of independent line but the way i operate when i'm online i attend it attend a baptist church but the way i operate online is i'm non-denominational why for what purpose i do not limit christianity to singular denomination because the bible even says it's wrong that if you believe in the lord god jesus christ by grace through faith through belief alone period that you are born again saved and you're a christian regardless of whatever stripe or title you try to give yourself that that uh, that there that what is christian what is born again christian is those who believe in the gospel of the scriptures and this ministry christian coffee time is meant for christians and is meant to call other people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to and to be born again Christian. So I, this is not meant for just one denomination or one stripe of denomination. This is meant for any and all born again Christians according to the scriptures. So these broadcasts are open to any and all who will hear the truth of the word of God. And it's not limited. So I hope that answers that one. All right. Okay, now, uh, sorry, I asked a question, should we join a church? Well, the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but more and more as you see the day approaching. That yes, uh, we are to uh, seek to uh, seek out a body of believers and to join that group, join that fellowship, and to be amongst them. 
to be in fellowship with them, to worship with them. Yes, this is what we're supposed to do. Nowhere in the word of God does it give any license to being a lone wolf all by yourself, a single soldier, an army of one. The Bible doesn't teach that. We're supposed to be in a group, even if two or three. So you said to seek out Christians and to be in fellowship with them. So I know it can be hard. I know that in some places there may not be a church, but that doesn't mean you should stop looking. But uh, Because here's the thing. You would drive for hours for an appointment. Why wouldn't you drive hours to be amongst the believers? You would, you would hazard health and weather to keep an appointment or to get to work, but you wouldn't ha- hazard for the Lord. Give it some thought. All right. Um, okay. And yes, Paris Vaughn is my wife. That's a, yeah, she knows a lot about me. Okay. Um, going down through Crystal says, is it normal for a church to give a deliverance packet in order to pray off trauma's sin? Huh? Meaning writing your personal information on paper with a release form for these prophets to pray? Huh? No, throw it in the garbage. That's not even, it's not even a thing. What? Okay, that, that's new. I haven't heard of that one. Okay, yeah, throw it in the garbage. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, um, now, if you're, say, to write a letter, an email, a text, or to call another Christian, and you're to explain to them you're having some troubles and you're not asking if they could pray for you okay that's one thing but in this type of manner the way you've laid it out here in a packet kind of thing that's just messed up plus alone people who call themselves prophets i wouldn't trust them as far as i could throw them because it's not biblical that they're in error and that their prayers will not be heard from the lord anyways people say well that's legalistic hey show me from the bible how i'm wrong Listen to this video, listen to this broadcast, and you'll see uh, what I mean. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, what do I mean by God doesn't do flippant things? God just doesn't, God doesn't do things for no reason, no purpose. God works with purpose and reason, and he plans out, and everything that he does is for a purpose, for a fulfillment of a reason. Uh, that's what I mean by that. That God just doesn't do things for no reason. Doesn't just say things and do things without thinking and planning. It, it just doesn't do flippant things. There's a point and a reason for all of his movements and all his works. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I answered the one about membership in churches. Okay. Okay. Crystal says I've been pressured for three years by a church member whose church I do not attend. They want all my info, like a scam business, like a scammer. Claiming to be prophetic. <laughs> and hardly anything has come to light with them. I think we're going to Yeah. Um, that's why uh, it's a, there's a great um, option uh, on your phones or in your computer, on your email. It's called Block. Check it out. Yeah, that whole Sozo thing is completely demonic and messed up. That's a Bethel, too. All right, so there we go. Any other comments, questions, issues, insights, anything else at all before we wrap this up? Anything else at all? 
Bethel and, and the whole thing. And Hillsong is is uh, is in friends and in league with Bethel. Bethel teaches you can also lay on the graves of dead Christians and soak up their anointing. So you can get more powers like Star Wars or something. Yeah, it's stupid. Okay, a church covenant is just a church uh, doctrinal statement, statement of faith. It's just what they're all about, what they teach, what they believe, what they stand for. Um, if I understand you correctly with your question, uh, that's what that is. And so, yeah, you look up the covenant of that church, their doctrinal statement, statement of faith, see what they're about, and to see if they're in line with Scripture. That's what that is. Uh, yeah, no, I think she was asking about signing your name to a membership role type thing. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. You're not a member of a church because you signed your name. Uh, I've been to churches and I know of churches who have huge membership roles with tons of names, but only a handful of people go. You're a member because you go, not because you signed your name. That's what scripture shows. This whole signing your name and the kind of thing is not even biblical. You're a member because you go there, because you attend there, you fellowship there. That's what makes you a member, not because you signed your name. So don't sign your name to anything. And if they insist on that, then go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Again, get away from those crazy uh, false prophets. Get away from them. Uh, what was the app you said was on? Oh, no, I was just being I was just being sarcastic. It, it just it, about, uh, you know, how phones, uh, when people keep calling you and bugging you or texting, you can block their number. You go into the settings and security, you can block their number or whatever. It, it Those crazy people that keep calling you and, and all that kind of thing or keep messaging you, just block them. And you go on your email, you can block their address. And you can go on your phone, you can block their number so they can just leave you alone. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Olga uh, uh, says, but yeah, it's that's very common. Um, yeah, it's that it's a necromantic uh practices and that kind of thing again that is really olga think about it how is that any different than catholics and orthodox venerating and praying to dead saints how is it any different so yeah So, yeah, um, again, uh, many people have differing uh, views and opinions on the membership thing. I, I'm just opposed to it because it's unnecessary and it, ca it can cause problems that people that haven't been to your church for a long time wind up ha having an authority and a say at church business meetings because their name is written on a membership role. So they are technically members even though they haven't attended for a long time no you're a member and you get a say because you go there because you regularly attend not because someone's name on it doesn't mean that they have any authority or whatever they could have their name on there for 50 years but they hardly ever darken the door they're not a member even if their name's on a roll that's my whole opinion on the thing again that's my opinion and, and my opinion isn't worth much my opinion plus two bucks will get you a copy of tim Hortons. that's just what i mean by so yeah, um, that's why I was scared because in Orthodox we do the same thing. That's right. So you see, same author. 
the same author as in the cults where they do the same thing in Hinduism. They do the same thing in Islam. They do the same thing in Buddhism. They do the same thing in Catholicism and Orthodoxy and in Judaism. They do the same thing in occultism. So you see the black thread of the authority of sin working its way through all the cults. You see it? See it? As you look for the similarities, you look for the same things. As you, you always know where the enemy is because you see the similarities. Yep. Okay, before I get baptized, should I take my name off the JW membership list? Write them a letter? If I do, they'll, they'll read my name from the platform and I'll be disfellowship. Go for it! Let me know when you do that. We'll have a party. We'll have a party. We'll have a live party about that. Yeah, send it in there, and we'll rejoice that uh, how how the, the finally the the those they do their whole like you know authority thing and try to make a big stink out of it about how how evil you are because you left the cult. We'll re be rejoicing. Yeah, let us know when you're going to do that. We'll be praying for you, and we'll be rejoicing and that your name is fi is finally removed from that. That'd be great. Go for it. Go for it. And the Lord, the Lord will rejoice. The angels rejoice. We'll rejoice. Hey, I'll hoot and holler for you. Yeah, go for it. And uh, but yeah, get your name out of there. Get your name out of that place. Get your name away from them as soon as possible. Go for it. Why even wait? Do it today. Write them a letter today. Right now, send them a text. Say, say I'm gone. Goodbye. And this is why. And when you send that, send them a whole message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell them what you have believed. Tell them what the gospel is. Yeah. So, yeah. So, write them write them the full gospel. Hey, I'll even give you a book of stuff that you can send them. Uh, I, I have tons of messages and things that are proving that JW is wrong and proving all their doctrines are wrong, proving who Jesus Christ is according to the word of God. Send it to them. Send it to them and say, this is what I believe and this is how you're wrong. Send them the gospel. Yeah, do it. Yeah, praise the Lord. Now, obedience to Christ is following him in mind, heart, body, soul, and spirit in every way. That every part of your being follows the Lord. And don't leave anything left for the enemy. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah write the gospel and send it with some gospel tracts. Send it with a bunch. Say, and, and here, here's some gospel tracts for you. And could you hand these tracts out to, to the members at the JW Church? Yeah, do it. Go for it. why not why not go for it so everybody be praying for a wild blue pray for her that the, the lord will give her great power and strength and courage and wisdom and knowledge and what to say and what to write and that uh and that, that even that the people who receive the letter their eyes will be opened that the spirits of deception and delusion will be broken from their eyes and they be given the understanding of the gospel could you imagine if your if your disfellowship email or letter or whatever what happened to reach the heart and mind of even one? Think about it. Think about it. That maybe the letter that you would write them might be enough to just push someone over the edge of doubting that cult. And you might be able to pull someone out. Think about it. All right. So Nancy says, is there a video on why the Bible is reliable even though it's written by men? Yes, it was written by man. Yes, it was. But, you see, this is the issue. People look at the physical 
actual, the physical pen and ink writing. And they think that that is what it's, uh, it's all about. But knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy, the writings, the teachings, came not in old time by the will of men. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That God himself, Theonustos of 2 uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that Theonustos, God spoke, God told, God dictated to them what to write. Yes, the scriptures were physically written, but God told them what to write. That from Genesis to Revelation are all the dictated words of God. And that God kept it, preserved it, protected it down through all generations. My word is preserved unto all generations. That's what it is. That's what it is. That all because we see a physical book, that's not just all it is. There's something more. There's something deeper. There's something spiritual about it, too, that you can't disprove it. There are no contradictions in the word of God, and I challenge anyone to prove me wrong on that. Uh, that I've actually done uh, a couple of years ago. I actually had a challenge that I kept up for a couple months. That it went through thousands of people, saw the challenge, and not one single person is able to beat the challenge. And the challenge was that the, at that time that I was offering $10,000 for, for, for anybody to prove one actual contradiction in the word of god no one could now a contradiction is not well well i think this this contradicts this no a contradiction is where like for example where the bible says that jesus is god and over here it says jesus is not god an actual contradiction where scripture actually contradicts scripture not a supposed misunderstanding of a text no actual contradictions or god contradicts himself and shows himself flawed that's what i mean by that there are no contradictions in the word of god now this is where some people will take something like for example modern bible versions where they've actually created contradictions in modern bible versions by deliberately removing scriptures and texts and contexts where they actually omit passages and stuff and they leave these voids in scripture where it actually opens up supposed contradiction but if you go and take a look at the original hebrew the koine greek uh, where it's translated into the majority text document based scriptures there are no contradictions in the word of the living god and uh, why is that because god says i'll preserve my word unto all generations of the grass withers and the flowers fade my word will stand forever my word is above my very name that if we were to uh, even to question the veracity of the word of god we have to question the veracity of the names of god and god says not one jot nor one tittle should always pass from the word of the law to all be fulfilled he keeps his word because god is not a liar if there are contradictions in the word of God, then God is not God. He's a liar and he's false. Throw your Bible in the garbage. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. If there's one contradiction in the word of God. God is not God then. So there you go. Disprove it. Which you can't, because even the Smithsonian Museum has announced that they, they actually use the Bible as a historical reference because of the people, places, and things, and events that occur in the Bible have been proven to be true. 
and they actually use it as such as a as a book of information not because they really believe it as the word of god but because they know its veracity as a historical text and then the archaeological discoveries that prove the bible true there's so much that backs up the word of god that medically biologically astronomically mathematically every test that you could possibly put it through it passes with flying colors straight a's every time it cannot be disproven it cannot be invalidated it cannot be destroyed it will never fade away it cannot be corrupted it cannot be denied the word of god is the absolute word of god with a 100 percent track record on every single prophecy in the word of god too there's not one single prophecy in the word of god that is that has failed to come to pass or that has been false every single prophecy in the word of god has come true every name has been proven all the events everything about the word of god is 100 proven true it wasn't just written by man so there you go so what year was was the bible complete after john penn's revelation yes as far as we understand i'm not the best when it comes to date and times like that um some bibles uh, actually have uh, have a date but they're again they try to guess the dates there but yes it was uh, when john finished revelation uh, if we actually take a look at the end of revelation we actually see the completion the last bit so the last bit of revelation here where god says in revelation 22 verses 18 and 19 <clears throat> For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. No prophecy of the scripture. Is there any private interpretation? For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. For if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. The plagues. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. It's complete and then God ends it with a judgment of don't monkey with my words. That's what God is saying. His word is preserved. His word is above his very name. How high and holy are the names of God? How high and holy is the name of Jesus? God says his word is above his very name what kind of god would he be then if he was to allow it to be corrupted and destroyed and have to be open to personal interpretation well then his names aren't very powerful then his names are called into question then the name of jesus is called into question you see that yeah they try to say about the quran but the quran is all messed up uh, the earliest quran that they actually found was dated to be 70 years after Muhammad died in the 600s, 70 years after Muhammad died, that is when this Quran was was actually dated to be written. And in the earliest Quran to the Qurans that they have now, this is my favorite thing, is the earliest Quran, and this they say that you know when they die, they'll get 70 virgins. In the earliest Quran, dated to 70 years after Muhammad dies. The earliest Quran says they'll get 70 bunches of grapes. Not virgins. It, it says it clearly. 70 bunches of 
grapes. You know, the fruit grapes. And the Quran also says that the parents of Mary, the mother of Jesus, is Amram and Yoshebel. When Amram and Yoshebel are the parents of Miriam, Moses, and Aaron. So then Mary, the mother of Jesus, is over 1,700 years old, or she's a time traveler. They can't even get the family lineages right. So yeah, so check out David Wood. Yeah, check out David Wood. He's got some stuff on the on the Quran and Islam. It's really great. Okay. Uh, but anyways, we're digressing and we're completely off topic of what this podcast is about. So we're going to wrap this up here. And so anyways, with that then, folks, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining in. Please, if you appreciate these studies, give us a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe and hit the notification bell icons. You know, we put up new videos and check out all our other playlists and all our other goodies. We got tons of stuff. Please uh, like this video, share this around. Let other people know what the Word of God says on this topic of spiritual gifts. And check out our website, ChristianCoffeeTime.ca. ChristianCoffeeTime.ca. And, uh, yeah. So there we go. God bless you, folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love His Holy Word. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.